Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Genesis 37, verses 23 through 28. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with the sleeves that he wore. And they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels carrying gum, balm, and resin on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Chris, for our scripture lesson this morning. And I want to thank our worship band again for the wonderful job they always do for us. <clears throat> and appreciate their faithfulness and diligence of sharing their talents and abilities with us. We are grateful. And um, I want to also remind you that each week I try to provide a study guide for you. You have that in your uh, bullets and your handouts. So I hope that you will take that home with you and uh, use that this week as a way to, to dig into God's words and to do that on a daily basis. We're trying to create that discipline for you to be able to do. So I hope that you'll take it home and use that as a resource. Let us pause for a moment of prayer to, to ask for God's uh, centering in our lives. Lord, I pray that you have been blessed by our voices in this place our worship of you. And now, God, we seek to open our hearts to hear your voice speaking to us through your word and through your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you might use me as a vessel for your glory now. So, God, open us to your word. Help us to seek its understanding for our lives today. May you shape us and touch us in those places that we need to be. We offer ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're actually beginning a new series of sermons on something we're calling Lessons from the Wilderness. We're going to be looking at the wilderness experiences of five different biblical characters from the Old Testament. Times when they went through experiences of, of difficulty in their lives, of doubt, fear, um, grief, disappointment, tragedy. And uh, it was how their faith in God sustained them through those wilderness experiences. Hopefully, hearing their stories will help us to learn something about ourselves, uh, learn something about God, and also about how God is at work in our lives, especially when we go through those wilderness experiences. Now, when the Bible talks about wilderness experiences, what, it really has two meanings there. On the one hand, it's talking about an actual geographic place. But it also is talking about, um, uses, uses, uses the word met, wilderness as a metaphor for these experiences we have in life sometimes that we refer to as, as wilderness things. So I want to show you a little bit of how that works in the Bible. First of all, I want to show you a map on the screen here. This is a map that um, is the actual geographic place that our story for today comes from. You'll see it begins over here on the right, the little town called Hebron, there in the, back, the bottom right there. Uh, Hebron is um, the place where Jacob lived. 
And that's the story we're going to be talking about today, Joseph's story. Jacob was his father. Jacob lived here. Hebron is in the Judean wilderness. It's dry, like a desert there. And so Jacob asked his sons to go up to uh, up there to Dolphin, because you see it's in, in the green area. He asked his sons to take the flocks that he has up to Dolphin so they can graze where it's grass. Now, he later tells Joseph, his son Joseph, to go and check on his other sons who are in Dolphin with his, his flocks and to bring him back a report. And this is where we find our scripture lesson this morning taking place where Joseph is captured by his brothers and he's thrown into a pit. He's sold into slavery. The Midianite slave traders then uh, take Joseph across the Sinai wilderness into the land of Egypt. And I'm going to show you another image here. That's a satellite image that actually shows you more of the landscape, the terrain that they, they went through. Um, as you can see, it's the Judean and the, the Sinai wilderness were desert areas. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever been to a desert or not, but um, it is truly a desolate area. I got to go to the um, desert in this area when I went to the Holy Land on several trips. And uh, some of the pictures I want to show you of this is this, this is a Judean wilderness. It's about 12 miles outside of uh, Jerusalem. And um, as you can see, it is truly a wilderness area. It's a very desolate area. But, you know, it was here that the prophets went to seek God. It was here that people would flee when they were being chased by the Romans or or other people who were trying to kill them. They would flee to the desert. It was here that John the Baptist spent most of his life. It was here that Jesus went into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days and for 40 nights. So the wilderness is a place... It's a place that you went when you were afraid. It's a place that you went when you were seeking to, to connect with God. It was also a place that people went to just get away and escape from everything. I mean, over the centuries, there have been thousands of monks that have established colonies out in the caves of the Judean wilderness to kind of get away from the world and to seek God. So everyone in the Holy Land knew what the wilderness was like. It was a desolate place. It's where wild animals and danger existed. It was dry. It was, it was hard. It was rugged. And so when people encountered difficult times in their life, they often referred to those as being a wilderness time. It was a metaphor for their difficult times in life, just like it is for us today. Now, people, we've all experienced wilderness. This is why we're doing this series, because we've all encountered wilderness moments in our own life. Harry Emerson Fosdick was a famous pastor who lived in, he preached at a large church in New York at the earliest part of the 20th century. But before he um, went into ministry, he was actually in seminary, I think, going to ministry, and he, he has a nervous breakdown. And he later described his experience in this way. He says, it was the most terrifying wilderness I had ever traveled through. I dreadfully wanted to commit suicide, but instead made some of the most vital discoveries of my life. I found God in a desert. And we still meet God in the desert times of our life, don't we? When you go through a desert moment, a wilderness moment, in those moments, there's always the opportunity for us to draw closer to God. It's always a time for us to learn some things about ourselves and to experience God at work in our lives. And that's what we're going to be focusing on in the next few weeks together, this series. Today, we're going to start with the story of Joseph. Now, many of you may know the story of Joseph. He was the son of the great patriarch Jacob, also known as Israel. And all of this story that we're going to be talking about takes place about 1,800 years before the birth of Jesus. So it's a long time ago. 
But um, Joseph's father, you remember, was Jacob, who um, had 13 children. He had 12 um, sons and had one daughter, and these were all by uh, different, different wives. And Joseph was the second youngest of this crew of children. Now, when you read the Bible, you need to remember the fact that back in that day, they didn't have television sets, they didn't have radios, they didn't have computers, playstations, and all that kind of stuff. They didn't even have books. So the way that they entertained themselves was by telling stories. And so these stories were meant to entertain, they were meant to delight uh, people in that day, but they were also meant to convey some very important truths about God, about human nature, and about how God is at work in this world. And that's what you find here in the story of Joseph. <clears throat> this was a story that was uh, intended to delight and entertain people, which is why you have someone like Tim Rice who can uh, take this story and create a, the Broadway musical of Jake, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. It just kind of lends itself to that, right? <laughs> uh, but this is also a story that conveys some very important truths about God and about God's will for our lives and even about our human nature. The story begins in Genesis chapter 37. Well, here you have Joseph. He's 17 years old. And if you know anything about Joseph's story, you know at this point in his life, he is very brash. He's very arrogant. <laughs> he's cocky. Um, and he's not very smart, <laughs> which actually causes a lot of conflict between him and his other uh, siblings. The conflict we read begins in Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. Listen to what it says. Now Israel, talking about Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, and they could not speak peacefully to him. You get the picture here, right? How many of you ever, when you were children, went up to your parents and said, Hey, Mom, Dad, who do you love more, me or my sister, me or my brother? <laughs> you ever do that? Uh, and, you know, if your parents were wise, they would, of course, say, uh, oh, honey, we love you all the same. You know, we, we love different ways, but we love you all the same, right? But that's not what uh, Jacob does. Uh, Jacob says, no question about this. I love Joseph. He's my favorite child. I love him more than I love any of you. <clears throat> now, how do you think that made his siblings feel? Well, as the text says, they didn't like him at all. They, they hated him, it says. Now, <clears throat> Again, this story, if you look in the context, you've got Abraham, Jacob, uh, Joseph, Isaac, Joseph, all these people that are around. But you know this whole story of this family is this dysfunction going on throughout it. I mean, it would take a therapist years to unpack all the dysfunction going on in this family. Uh, you remember, first of all, how Jacob fell in love with a woman named Rachel, and that's what he wanted. He wanted to marry her, but he got tricked into marrying her sister, Leah. And after they get married to both of them, then you have this constant conflict going on between these two wives. They're competing over his, his uh, love and his affection. And, and then when they can't produce children as, as he wants or needs, uh, they offer him their maidservants. Now, this is crazy. You've got four women sharing one guy, and he really only loves one of them. <laughs> so you can see how that sets up the, the situation. And then they're constantly fighting over which of their children is going to be the special child. Well, finally, Jacob chooses the son of his favorite wife, the one he loves, to be the special child. And again, that creates all kind of dynamic. But he goes from bad to worse. At 17, uh, Jacob gives Joseph, his chosen child, this special robe. And Joseph begins to rub it in the face of all of his brothers and sisters and everybody how much their father loves him more than any of them. 
You just imagine how that goes over. And then on top of that, he has this tendency to go tell dad every time the brothers do something wrong. In other words, he's a tattletale. I mean, that's kind of why he sent uh, Joseph up the dolphin in the first place, because he, he was good at this. Uh, he was a tattletale. And again, do you think that made the brothers love him more? Of course not. They hated him. Everything he did made them hate him even more. And then he has these dreams. One dream in particular he has um, is a dream about how his brothers are going to one day in the future bow down at his feet. Now listen, if you have a dream like that, don't tell anybody about it. <laughs> just don't. I mean, keep it to yourself, right? But that's not what Joseph does. He's just not very bright. He goes to his brothers and he says, hey guys, I had this amazing dream last night. I dreamed that all of you are going to bow down at my feet someday. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> well, well, look here how the scripture describes their response. He says, the brothers responded this way. He says, are you indeed to reign over us? <laughs> are you indeed to have dominion over us? And so they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. Well, as I said, one day Jacob tells his sons to take his flocks up to Dothan and where they can graze there. It's about a five-day journey, about 50 miles up there. And, um, you know, you notice that all the sons go do this except Joseph. Because Joseph is the favorite son. He gets to stay home while all the others go work, right? <laughs> but at some point, uh, Jacob tells Joseph, I want you to go up to Dolphin. I want you to uh, check out on how your brothers are doing and bring a report back to me about it. Now, you just got to know you're, in, you're anticipating this in the story. This is not going to end well, right? Um, so Joseph goes up to Dolphin and he checks on his brothers. And this is what they, the scripture says they said when they saw him coming. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal had devoured him, and we shall see what has become of his dreams. Wow, can you imagine this? But I know he's an annoying little brother, and the dad has done some terrible things, but my goodness, they're going to kill him? And then they're going to make up this story about uh, how they can tear his robe that they hated and put goat's blood on it and just tell their dad that a wild animal killed him. And that's exactly what they did. And it broke Jacob's heart. And for the rest of his life, he would grieve over this belief that his beloved son had been killed by wild animals. But, you know, they didn't care about that. All they cared about is this was a way to get rid of this annoying brother and a way to get even with their dad. Now, at least one of them seems to have a heart, or maybe he was just trying to capitalize on the situation, but Judah, the brother Judah, says to the others, hey, look, let's don't leave him down the pit to die. Um, I'll tell you what, there's some slave traders over here. Let's sell him. You know, make some money off of this deal. And so they sell him for 20 pieces of silver, which is about a day and a half wages uh, for each one of them. And then they go home. They tell their father this tragic story of how their uh, brother Joseph was killed by wild animals. So now you have Joseph. He's taken down to Egypt, and he's sold as a slave to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was one of Pharaoh's officials. And um, if you're Joseph, <laughs> just imagine what you'd be thinking. I mean, if I was Joseph at this moment, I'd be going, where are you, God? I mean, if you are real, how could you have let this happen to me? And why don't you deliver me from this? I mean, where are you, God? I think that's how most of us would feel. But the text says that that's not what Joseph prayed. Joseph trusted in God. 
Even though he was sold by his brothers and he's ended up as a slave in Egypt, he still trusts in God. He recognizes, well, these are the cards I've been dealt in life, and so I need to make the best of it. And so he works hard to try to prove himself as being trustworthy and honorable and a, a good hard worker, and that eventually pays off. I mean, Potiphar recognizes this about him, and he elevates him to the position of being in control of his entire, entire household. But that's where the plot thickens. Now, in Genesis 39, we read this. Now, Joseph was handsome and good-looking, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused. Now, you got all the makings of a great Hollywood movie here, don't you? <laughs> you got betrayal, now you got seduction, uh, and you got all this stuff going on. But Joseph, you read, was, was steadfast in his refusal not to do this. He said, I will not do this. My master has entrusted everything to me. I will not betray him. But every day, day after day, week after week, he hears the same message from um, Potiphar's wife. Come, lie with me. I want you. Come lie with me. And yet he refused. But one day, Potiphar's wife, after all the other servants were outside doing something, she comes to, to Joseph and she grabs him and she demands him to lie with her. And again, he refuses and he's, he tries to run out of the house. And as he's running out of the house, she tears a piece of his robe. And, you know, having been spurned one too many times, she now goes outside and she tells all the servants, Joseph just tried to assault me and I have proof. Here's his robe. Then when Potiphar comes home, he, she tells Potiphar, and Potiphar becomes enraged, and he has him thrown into prison with no possibility of parole. I mean, this is one of Pharaoh's officials. I mean, he doesn't have a chance of getting out now. Now, again, if you're Joseph, how are you feeling? You've been sold into slavery by your own brothers. You've ended up a slave, and you've tried to do the honorable thing, even in the midst of that. You tried to do the next right thing, and because of it, you've now ended up being thrown into prison with no chance of escaping. What would your prayers be? I'm thinking about this. If, if that was me, I, I'd be angry. <laughs> I'd be bitter toward um, my brothers. I'd be angry and bitter toward Potiphar's w wife. I'd be bitter and angry toward the criminal justice system. I'd be mad at God. I mean, how could God let this happen to me? I think that's how most of us would probably feel. And I'm sure that Joseph went through that as well. He must have had those feelings. He was human like anybody else. This was Joseph's wilderness moment. But in the midst of this wilderness moment, some important things begin to happen to Joseph. You see how his arrogance and his ego and his pride began to be whittled down. And every experience that he had brought him to his knees and humbled him before God. And you can just see how God was working to shape him and to form him during this time. After time, he worked through that bitterness that he had. And he just began to focus on, you know, these are the cards I've been dealt. How am I going to live? What's the next step? How am I going to live in a way as if God was leading my life? And it's interesting, this whole story, you look back at his dad. Jacob, God appeared to Jacob several times throughout his journey to reassure him. But God never appeared to Joseph. So Joseph just had to trust that God was there that God was somehow with him. And yet over and over again, as you read these, the story of Joseph, you see how the text says God was with Joseph. God was walking with him. God was blessing him. But Joseph just had to trust that that was true. 
without even seeing God. So the writer of Hebrews describes this kind of faith in a passage I think many of us know by heart. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This was Joseph's wilderness story. Yet through it all, we see how Joseph's trust that God is, that God was with him, that God was not going to forsake him or leave him. No matter what, he began to trust. And it was this trust in God, that God was with him or not going to forsake him, that helped him not to turn away from God and not to live this life of bitterness and anger. And it was, you know, believing in this, trusting in this, that enabled him to do the next right thing, no matter what he encountered. And by doing the next right thing, he ultimately found hope. When he was a slave at Potiphar's house, because he was choosing to do the next right thing, he was elevated to a, a status of being over the whole household. Then even when he's thrown in the prison because he tried to do the right thing, uh, the guards recognize the fact that he is trustworthy. He, he's always trying to do the next right thing. And so they entrusted responsibilities to him. And because he trusted in God, you see how his life was shaped in a positive way instead of being filled with bitterness and resentment. That's key to his life story. And you really see that when you get to the end of Joseph's Joseph's story. Um, Because of Joseph's willingness to do the next right thing and his ability to interpret dreams, he eventually becomes gets out of prison. He's elevated to being Pharaoh's right-hand man. He interprets a dream of Pharaoh. And so he entrusts all of Egypt's resources to him. And then years later, there's a famine, a drought that happened in the land. And Joseph's brothers eventually have to come to Egypt begging for food. And they end up standing before their brother, the one whom they sold into slavery. They don't recognize him, but Joseph recognizes them. And at that moment, he could have had them killed. He could have had them in prison for the rest of their lives. But he responds with mercy. As they beg for forgiveness from him after they recognize who he is, what we discover is he demonstrates that he forgave them a long time ago. In one of the most touching scenes in the Old Testament, you have Joseph saying to his brothers, even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended this for good. So this is, first of all, I think a story of forgiveness. It's forgiveness in the face of utter betrayal deep hurt by people that you love. This is, is, I think, where Joseph's wilderness really connects with us because every one of us here has had those moments where we've been hurt by somebody. All of us have been hurt by someone here. And, you know, some of you have been hurt so deeply that you just can't let go of that pain because it's just too hard. You were abused by a parent. Uh, you were cheated on. You were lied to. Uh, someone uh, told something false about you and accused you of something that ended up causing you to lose your job or something. You know, something painful happened to your life, and it's something you just can't let go of because the pain is just too great. But when that happens, what ends up happening to us is that we create a prison for ourselves a prison of bitterness and resentment toward other people, and we actually become enslaved and imprisoned by those feelings. But the truth is, we're not hurting anybody but ourselves when that takes place. Undoubtedly, Joseph had to be in that position at some point. 
But somewhere along the way, he was able to let go of that bitterness, the resentment, even the hostility he surely felt toward his brothers. And he was able to forgive them. Now, I want you to not to miss this. That didn't happen overnight. Joseph was sold into slavery when he was 17 years old. He wasn't elevated to uh, Pharaoh's right-hand position until he was 30 years old. It took uh, many years for him to get to the point where he had forgiven his brothers for what they had done. And that only happened because he entrusted his life, his circumstances, and his future to God. The scriptures are clear throughout the whole telling of Joseph's story that God was at work in his life, using these experiences to shape him, to form him, to help him to do something that he could not do on his own. I believe, folks, that can be our story, too, no matter what we're going through. God's Holy Spirit can help us to, to let go of the bitterness, to be set free of the resentment and the, the revenge and the pain that we're experiencing and that we're holding in our hearts, that has imprisoned us. It's, it's, that's not about justifying or forgetting what the other has done to you, but it's allowing God's Holy Spirit to set you free of those things that are enslaving and imprisoning you by and filling those things with a new spirit. He can turn the bitterness into a heart of love. God can be at work in your life. I think this is the way out of the wilderness that we sometimes find ourselves in. So what is the anger? What is the bitterness? What is the resentment that you're holding on to? Are you still imprisoned by that? Well, what this story promises us is that it is possible, only by God's grace, it is possible to be set free from those feelings of resentment, bitterness, anger that is enslaving us. God can put a new and right spirit within us. He can replace those feelings with love so that he can be using us for his glory. So I think that's part of what this story is about. It's first of all a story about forgiveness, but it's also a story of redemption and about resolution. Most of us, uh, we want to believe that if we just believe in God, have enough faith, do what God wants us to do, then bad things aren't going to happen to us. If I, just, if I could just do the things that God wants me to do and live the way God wants me to do, bad things won't happen to me. We really want to believe that. But if you live long enough, you know that's just not how life works. Bad things happen to good Christians all the time. Uh, God has given us the freedom, <clears throat> thankfully, to choose to do good or to choose to do evil. And the problem is that we and many others choose to do bad things, which make for the headlines that we see in the news every day. This is our human condition. The Bible doesn't promise us that God is not going to let bad things happen to us. It, it happens all the time. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to experience trouble. That's just a part of life. The Bible is filled with horrible stories of terrible things that were done to people because of ungodly choices that were made. <clears throat> and I, that's exactly what happened to Joseph. That's part of his story. But if God doesn't keep the bad things from happening to us, then why doesn't God deliver us or fix those things when they do happen? Well, that's what we want, right? Uh, if I just pray, God, if you love me, then why don't you fix this or make it better? But again, you know, when God doesn't do that, we get angry, we turn our back on him. But that's not how life works either. Joseph was in prison for 13 years. Where was God in all of that? 
Well, the scripture testifies that God was with him every step of the way. God was always there, no matter what. He walked with him, God worked in him, and God worked through him. And that's how God comes alongside of us in our wilderness moments. I mean, if you get cancer, you go to the doctor, right? And you pray that God will work through that doctor to bring healing to your life. And if that happens, then you can be set cancer-free, and it's wonderful. But if it doesn't happen, and you end up passing on, you're going to walk into God's arms. So no matter what happens, no matter what uh, takes place, God has made that promise, I'm going to be with you every step of the way, no matter what. That's what God promises. God walks with us through our wilderness moments, no matter what they are. So God doesn't promise that bad things aren't going to happen to us. He doesn't promise he's going to fix everything when it goes bad. But God does promise us this, that evil will never have the final word. I mean, how can we ever doubt that? We, in the Christian church, believe our faith is based upon a man who died on a cross, right? I mean, the cross is the symbol of what God can do with the evil of this world. He redeems it for his purposes. And that's what Joseph came to learn. After he interpreted Pharaoh's dream, he was um, made second in command to everything of Pharaoh, put over in charge of everything. Then at that point in his life, Joseph looks back. And he recognizes how God had used, taken all of those terrible things that happened in his life and God had redeemed those things and brought about something good. If it were not for all those things that happened in his life, he wouldn't be in the position that he was now in to save his family from starvation or save the entire nation of Egypt and, and God's people. As he said, even though you intended this for harm, God used this for good. This is what we read in Romans 8, chapter 28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. That doesn't mean that uh, bad things aren't going to happen to us. But rather, God can take those bad things. He can take those wilderness experiences of our life. He can shape those things, use those to shape and form us into people he's calling us to be. Our wilderness experiences in life can become our defining moments out of which God can accomplish his greatest purposes. Which is exactly what happened to Joseph. You know, Joseph went on to live 80 years after he got out of prison. And it's clear that what defined his life were those wilderness experiences that he had. His most horrible wilderness experiences of life, God redeemed. And God was able to use for his glory. I mean, nothing after Genesis 50 would have happened had it not been for the fact that he was sold into slavery, he trusted in God, and he was ultimately delivered. It's an amazing story. But I think this can be the story of our lives as well. Now, let me ask you the question, do you really believe the promise of God's redemption? That God can take those wilderness moments of your life and that God can redeem them and use them for his glory? Do you believe that? Do you trust in it? You see, Joseph's story can be your story. If you're willing to trust God, even when you can't see him or feel him. The story can be your story if you're willing to allow God to help you to do those things that you cannot do on your own. To let go. To forgive. So that God can use you as a blessing. It can happen only when we're willing to entrust God with our wilderness moments. 
knowing that he can redeem those things and create something beautiful out of it. This, I believe, is Joseph's word to us as we all walk through moments of wilderness at times. Let's pray. I invite you just to make this your prayer as uh, I pray together. Uh, you can breathe this under your breath. You can say it to yourself. Or may you offer yourself to God. God, I trust you with my life. I trust that you are with me always. That's how I offer my life and my wilderness up to you. Help me to forgive, oh God. Release me from the prison of resentment. Take my wilderness, story of my life, and use it, God, for your glory. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.